This is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, October 16th, 2021. Dornall, how was your week? Hey, man. Week was pretty good. Busy taking care of upcoming move. So uh, uh, what can I say? I've just been busy. How about you? Well, up until this morning, everything was great. And then all of a sudden I got hit by a very, very heavy, uh, very heavy hammer of, of that word that I remembered when we were talking before the show, but I'm having trouble remembering now. Allergies, hammer of allergies. And so I'm going to have to pause every now and then to allow myself to alleviate the allergies because it sucks. Yeah, man. It's funny that you're getting blasted now. Most people have trouble with those in the spring, but you know what? It's the geek gap. We're going to chalk it up to technical difficulties. No, we started right on time. We were live exactly perfectly on time. And, uh, yeah, I was kind of, kind of confused because I was looking at, uh, I'm, I'm watching behind the scenes on one device and then I'm watching like the actual show on another device so I can keep an eye out on the chat. And we were like perfectly launched on time, but the chat wasn't going and we weren't broadcasting on YouTube. And I'm like, man. I wonder if there really are technical difficulties. Then we started running. I'm like, oh, no. Just a little lag. We cool? Just YouTube being YouTube. Yep. I guess so is there anything happened this week that, like, we should know about that's, like, up our alley? That's up our alley? Can't say that there is, uh, other than the show we're going to review today uh, which is pretty big halloween movies are out there's a new halloween movie oh uh, yeah halloween halloween kills, kills or mangles or hey jamie lee curtis isn't getting any younger it's uh, now she's like grandma uh taking down jason uh jason michael myers i saw the original halloween <laughs> for the first time this week it's a guy in a mask. He kills people with a knife. It's They're the same guy. <laughs> I have not seen any of the Halloweens other than the most recent one. Uh, not the one that came out now. The most recent one before this. Uh, and so I am not up on my Halloween lore. Um, which is okay, I understand, because the Halloween lore is really convoluted. <laughs> They have a habit of like periodically rebooting everything and pretending that all the movies never happened except the first one and then splicing themselves into that. Even with Jamie Lee Curtis in them, even the movies with Jamie Lee Curtis in them get ignored, uh, and like wiped out of existence, and then they pretend that only the first one happened. Not number two. Not number three, which had nothing to do with one and two anyway, or maybe that's vice versa. Uh, 
and it's just hilarious. If you're trying to keep track of what's going on, periodically you just erase the continuity and reboot it. So, um, yeah, Halloween's hard to keep track of. I have also seen all of the Friday the 13th up until I think Jason 10, which is the one where he goes to space. And then I lost track of all those. <laughs> um, I saw the Hellblazers up until Hellblazer 4. Uh, or up until including Hellblazer 4, which was Hellblazer Goes to Space. So I saw that one, and I haven't seen any others after that. Is that Hellblazer or Hellraiser? Hellraiser, excuse me. I thought Hellraiser. the first one was pretty good, but I haven't seen it in like 20 years. Yeah. And let's see. I haven't actually physically seen any of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, although I own them all now, and I want to watch them this Halloween sometime. Um, but I read the books when I was in high school, and I really liked the books. I tell you what, I, I saw the first one long time ago as a youngin'. And A Nightmare on Elm Street is Nightmare Fuel. That's a really scary movie. I'm down. I'm all over that. I'm there. Uh, yeah, we hey, have what a discussion. Is, Go ahead. I was going to ask, what, what, other, uh, what other new Halloween traditions are you going to work in this year? I don't know. It just the last few years i've been so busy with work that i only watch what's necessary for work which some years have mean i haven't even seen a whole uh, a horror movie all of october i have been deprived of my october joys because i've been working on other things mm. um this week, uh, my work was talking about some steampunk stuff with a good friend of mine uh, and uh, bouncing some ideas off them, getting some comments, things like that. So that's what I did last week after the show uh, and before... Uh, my little sister was having a birthday party for her two sons. Um, and I hadn't actually physically seen anybody in my family in the flesh for like six months. Oh, dear. So I got to go and see my family. Not all of them, obviously, because they live all over the place. But it was nice. So in between getting off the air... I stopped and talked to a, a good friend of mine, a, a published author, about some steampunk stuff, and then got off that call just in time to change and go see my family for the first time in six months. So last Saturday was busy. Uh Then let's see. Um, so I don't know about horror movies. What horror movies I'm going to see this year. 
but I do have like the Nightmare on Elm Streets. I'd really like to see just to get, just to be able to see them. Oh, the first one at least. I think I've seen one in three. The or I think three is the Dream Warriors. Yeah, uh, the first one's amazing. First one's amazing. Um, I've been going through a bunch of classics over the past couple of weeks with the girl. Uh, we've been doing sort of movie date night all week, and I've, I'm seeing a lot of stuff that I never saw before. I mentioned Halloween. Uh, I got to show her Evil Dead for the first time. We watched the Evil Dead, and uh, you can't watch that without following up with Evil Dead 2, because, which is a much, much better one. Much better movie. That's going to be great. What else have I seen? I saw Psycho for the first time, the original uh, Alfred Hitchcock film. Uh, fantastic. I should put the birds up next. Oh, yeah. Psycho is amazing. Uh, just that whole beginning sequence is punched uh, to the face. Oh, yeah. Uh, when... And of course, I knew going into it, of course, it's such an old movie. I knew that, you know, the woman was going to be slaughtered halfway through. So, that I mean, that that's, that's, a, that's a spoiler, but everybody sort of knows it's what happened. But, yeah, when the, when the murder happened and, and the second half of the movie begins, uh, my girlfriend pressed the player to check what the running time was. And she's like, wait, it's only half over. I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um so i'm i'm looking forward to a bunch of new new stuff and revisiting some old stuff uh based on your suggestion i saw the texas chainsaw massacre awesome really 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 uh scary movie and suspenseful not like not like gory and of course we rewatched saw that's that's got to become a tradition I told you you'd like Saw. I told you the first one was worth it. Yeah, and and it's it holds up upon second viewing, except for the very end, right? The very end is stupid. Yeah, but you can you can live with that after the whole movie goes by. That final reveal, you kind of roll your eyes and go, "Well, all right, I'm watching a B movie after all." Um. Yeah, I just checked this. Uh, Emmett Fitzhugh apparently. Uh, hey man, welcome. Good to see you in chat. Uh, he agrees with you, by the way. He says number one and number three of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street are decent. The rest he didn't isn't so enthusiastic about. Yeah, I else... I do remember the first one being excellent. I don't can't say I remember the third one. But he's also saying that. Uh, I got picked up on Instapundit. Did you? Yeah. Is is Instapundit listening to the show? Is Instapundit still a guy? Uh, Instapundit is now a group blog, but the Instapundit himself still does the blog, but that's not who picked me up. Uh, Ed Driscoll, uh, Aha. Gave one of my tweets a shout out. 
Uh, that's cool. I'm so, going to give this. Uh, I'm, I'm going to put this on screen for anybody watching on YouTube. Is politics, but you know that's my Twitter thing. So. Yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to just to, just because I want to share it. Thanks, uh, Emmett. That's cool. I would not have known that. What do we got here? Look at this. PJmedia.com slash Instapundit. You are getting political on your Twitter account, aren't you? <laughs> anyway, yeah, um, nice, 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 uh, nice quote from you. I mean, this is not fair to our li to our listeners. Let's uh, I'll, I'll read the tweet and then we'll just leave it at that. Uh, large large parts of the right wing commentary are mentally incapable of grasping that when the federal government orders private companies to act in certain ways without there being a law passed or so much as a single regulation promulgated, this isn't voluntary corporate action. Um, responding to a moron asking if it's about questions about free speech. Uh, yeah, good call. I guess we'll leave it at that because that is not what this show's about. No, but if you'll allow me to brag, and I'm not even going to humble brag, I'm not even going to pretend. Uh, I was talking to some people the other day, and both Ace of Spades from the Ace of Spades blog uh, and Instapundit himself used to follow me when they were on Twitter. So that was they must like cool. your takes. Yeah. I think they yeah, just followed you for all the the cosplay girls that you post. That must be it. I have a surprising number of actual respectable people who follow me on Twitter. And I I will be honest, this is not a joke, this is not a humble brag. I don't understand why. Because I am like deliberately um sort of disrespectful is not the word I'm looking for. Uh, disreputable. I am deliberately disreputable. You know, I tell black humor jokes. I don't mean racist humor jokes, folks. Black humor, like really dark humor that... Morbid humor. Morbid humor. Things that people are not eager to associate with, but that like that's the kind of audience I get... <laughs> So, you know, I got people who follow me who write for The Federalist. I got people who follow me who write for, uh, is it TPM, the Trans Post Millennial up in Canada? Um, uh, Federalist, I already said that, but that's, there's another one I'm thinking of, but I can't remember the name. So I had to say Federalist twice. Uh, but like these are respectable people who, you know, traffic in respectable opinions and are engaged in respectable debates. And I'm like, look, I'm glad that they follow me. You know, that doesn't upset me. I just wonder. I'm like, do your friends know where you <laughs> on Twitter? Do they know who you who you follow? So yeah, that's cool. Thanks, Emmett. That's great. Yeah, I'm glad you got picked up. 
Um, uh, let's let's see. Speaking of chat, we're hanging out uh, in gaming news. In gaming news, apparently, Paizo Publishing, the guys who do Pathfinder, their workers are trying to uni- unionize, according to Matthew Martin. I haven't I haven't verified this, so I I don't know why I mentioned it. It just uh, I know why I mentioned it. It's it's probably politics adjacent. Um, you hire a bunch of woke people, they're gonna get up in their heads that they're real workers who really deserve to a, a union. I mean, whether they do or don't, and let's face it, most woke workers don't turn in enough great work to deserve a union. Hardworking Coleman who are getting screwed out of health benefits or not getting paid enough by their company, I can see where they deserve a union. Sometimes unions can take it too far, and most modern unions don't care about the workers themselves. They care about the paychecks of the union bosses, like Hostess. The Hostess union, um, the company went to them and said, we cannot make payroll and pay for all the demands you're putting on us. We just can't. And the union said, screw you, we're going on strike. And so hostess said, well, that's it then, we're going bankrupt. And they went bankrupt, the company shut down, all the workers got laid off, and somebody else had to come along and buy the assets before they could start making hostess again. And they killed the Twinkie. They killed the Ding Dong. They killed hostess fruit pies. So, yeah. And then these woke workers come along and think they're going to unionize a role-playing game company? Do they not know the industry they're in? Do they not know that role-playing game companies have the financial success of people begging for pennies off the streets? This is the company that, if you recall, about seven years ago, we went to PAX in Seattle. Yeah. And we attended uh, a few role-playing game events, at least one for Pathfinder and another one for, at the time it was called D&D Next, the, what became 5th edition D&D. And the Wizards of the Coast had a slick professional operation. They had a giant ballroom to themselves. They had maybe two, three dozen professional game masters all running the same module. It was a lot of fun, really well done. And Paizo was in a little corner of a room and it was all volunteer game masters. Like these are guys that I see, or I used to see down at Card Kingdom in Seattle every week. Like these are just regular uh, people volunteering time and they're overworked. We had a game master who had been up like 36 straight hours and he had to run the most ridiculous, poorly written convention module for our group. It was absurd. Paizo has no <laughs> no money at all. At all. Never mind the, the the fact that the industry as a whole, there's no money in it. 
to uh, so I, I just I don't know who they're who they're trying to fool here. If they just think it's some kind of moral imperative that all workers should have a union, if uh, they think it's like they really deserve whether or not the company is that successful, I don't know, full health and dental, as well as $100 an hour like auto workers, I don't know what they're thinking. But unionizing under any role-playing game company is never going to get you anywhere. It's just going to get you hostess is what it's really going to get you. And I don't mean you'll be bathing in cakes. You're going to have a big Scrooge McDuck vault full of, you know, Twinkies. I mean, you're going to drive your company out of business. That's it. Bye-bye. That's all she wrote. Go get hired by, you know, some website somewhere to write video game journalism or something because you are toast. Hey, I'm I'm going to be harsh. I and no one's going to miss him. I'll I'll be I'll be brutally honest here. Pathfinder was a great way to keep third edition D&D alive while Wizards of the Coast experimented with fourth edition. And it did a splendid job at that and it's it's gone now. Like that time is over. People who like that sort of game are going are perfectly fine either playing D and D fifth edition or nothing at all. They won't be missed. But the unionization thing is is a little interesting to me. Um, this isn't the sort of campaign that I was expecting. This this comes out of uh, what I'm I'm skimming here of places like the RPG site and and. And news sites is that it's uh, the, the workers are attempting to address some problems with their like like you said it's this isn't bad like uh, hardworking poll men who are getting screwed over their wages and safety or something like that it's a little absurd to think of a company with a bunch of freelance writers having this kind of problem. Um, have have they I, not been paying attention to like the newspapers and websites that are shutting down all over the place? <laughs> freelance writers are a dime a dozen nowadays. They they've got an excess of freelance writers. Yeah, it's true. Every writing writing doesn't really pay. It's it's one of those jobs, especially in role playing games. You you grind it out because you love it. I mean, I could go outside and throw a hunk of concrete and hit 12 freelance writers begging for jobs right now. I'm lying, of course, but, you know, it makes a point. Yeah. And uh, to uh, to Matthew Martin's point about, he says there's a lot of chatter about Paisel's management not doing right by the employees. Hey, you know, I, I, from what I've seen coming out of Wizards of the Coast in the past decade, I Anything coming out of Redmond, Washington, with uh, in that industry in that climate, I'm not surprised at all. I I don't I wouldn't trust anybody running anything at either Wizards of the Coast or Paizo. I'll just come right out and say it. I don't trust those guys. Woke bosses are the worst bosses of all because they are far more cutthroat than any hardcore capitalist bosses you'll get and they have no qualms about it 
they have no conscience about screwing over everyone. I mean, your Hollywood, your modern Hollywood execs who have done all of those shady, legendarily shady accounting tricks, perfect examples of woke bosses. They will screw you over at the drop of a hat and they don't even care. Because they know they can get a hundred people just like you, like that. Absolutely. So anyway, I suppose that's enough of the business. Although I will mention that chat has once again gone into the rabbit hole of talking about various editions of D&D and the uh, Jeffrogaxian time and AD, oh man, we can't get away from the bro SR, can we? <laughs> I love those guys. Oh, I should give you a report. I've joined the renewal of Trollopolis. Awesome. Where are you playing? Yeah, uh, I am a patron. I I don't have time for the weekly uh, session play, so I'm I'm playing a high level. I should say a mid level. Uh, character in charge of a dwarf village and so i've got i've got an army and and a little village stronghold and i've been communicating with the game master and one of the other players by email um, um that's that sounds like a tall order it sounds like a lot of work for the dm but at least a lot of his a lot of the work, as far as downtime goes, is is rolling on tables at the back of the DMG. So that's kind of nice. I had a topic we discussed this week on Twitter. Um, and because of that, I watched a movie I had not only never seen before, but I'd never even heard of before. And what's to make it even stranger is it's a post-apocalyptic movie. And for there to be a post-apocalyptic movie that I've never even heard of before, it's pretty strange because that was, you know, my jam. Post-apocalyptic movies, I've watched more of them more consistently for longer than I have zombie movies. So they're more my jam than zombie movies, if you can imagine it. Um, but we're out of time to discuss a second topic this week, so we'll have to put that off until, I think, next week. Make a note of it. We'll talk about it next week. Uh, the movie, by the way, uh, Misha, good friend, author friend. Misha Burnett? Yeah. Uh, he mentioned it. We were having a discussion. Uh, I saw a tweet. Somebody was talking about like a movie, just a post-apocalyptic movie and, you know, gangs and stuff in it. And I was like, well, what are movies that I really love that did a great job at showcasing, you know, futuristic or post-apocalyptic urban hellscapes? 
Uh, and so I listed five of them that I could remember. And the people came back with a bunch more. And so I listed five more the next day. Um, and then I dropped the, the list of 10 or 10 as modified what people reminded me of. Uh, so we had, I mean, we had great discussions. People were discussing movies they like. People were discussing, you know, I found out that I am not the only person who has a soft spot for Catherine Bigelow's Strange Days, which uh, was kind of surprising because that was an obscure movie that uh, has kind of slipped off into uh, into vast realms of of disappearing night. Um, but I will count it. Uh, I, I just made the comment that like of all of the dark futures I've seen, Strange Days came closest to matching what California actually became. Not the cyberpunk technology in it, but uh, the urban hellscape of Strange Days, where it takes place, uh, is the closest to really matching what modern day California is. Um, and other people came back with other movies they felt like did it better. So I want to talk about that next week. Just the urban healthscapes. Uh, good urban healthscapes in movies. And we're talking like RoboCop, Strange Days. Um, and I was restricting it specifically to futuristic like uh, science fictional or whatever. But some people also added in great and compelling ones that weren't like The Crow that was kind of present day-ish when it was released. Things like that. So the movie I got tipped to by Misha Burnett was called Dead End Drive-In. It's a mid-80s movie, uh, Aussie indie fair. Um, and I really want to talk about that next week. So we're, we have to postpone it for this week, notwithstanding just spending five minutes discussing it. We have to postpone it for this week because we won't have time to discuss what we actually came here to discuss, which is Squid Game. Everybody's talking about it. Yeah. Uh, like just to, everybody. Everybody's talking about it. And because everybody's talking about it, I'm going to give a quick redundant summary. It is a Korean TV show available on Netflix. It's uh, nine episodes an hour each. And it is about a game where the prize is billions of dollars, but the price of losing is death. There you go. There you have it. Sounds exciting. Yep. Um. So apparently this is a genre now. I didn't know that. Apparently it is. You had Battle Royale in Japan and the second Battle Royale, both of which I've seen and talked about on the show, actually. We did an episode with those in them. Mm. Um, then you had the Hunger Games here in America, um, which people have accused of ripping off Battle Royale, but I have no idea if Susan Collins was even aware of that thing's existence um but it was the same thing it was high school kids 
you know, 24 of them in, in the case of the Hunger Games, hunting each other down and killing each other uh, with the sole survivor becoming the champion and getting, you know, lifelong, getting taken care of themselves for the rest of their lives. And then you had on Netflix, uh, back in Japan, it was a Japanese TV show called Alice in Borderland, which while it was pretty close to the same thing as Squid Games, did not at all reach the level of public visibility or uh, popularity as Squid Games has. And I want to, I've got a theory about that that I want to pick up sometime during the discussion because I think it's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, that, that is that is interesting. Because this isn't uh, a new, this isn't a new concept, but it's, it, people are, it's new to a lot of people or, or people pretending it's new to them. Yeah, and I'm sure there's other movies out there. I mean, death sport movies were big during the uh, late 60s and 70s. Um, but this is a specific, I mean, you had like Death Race 2000. Mm -hmm. um, but this is a specific kind of uh, death sport movie, the last man standing um, death sport. And if I had, if I'd been a more responsible person, other than in, or in addition to actually watching all nine episodes, so I'd be ready for the show. Uh, I would have also looked up more TV shows or movies that were like this. But other than the ones I've already seen, which is quite a lot, because uh, I watched all of Alice in Borderlands. And again, I think I talked about it on the show. I'm pretty sure we did an episode where I talked about it. Yeah. Um, uh, I didn't do anything extra to prepare. But I did watch all the episodes of Squid Game, so let's go. Squid Game follows the main character is a middle-aged man who is a middle-aged divorced man with a daughter and a huge gambling problem. And so most of the story sort of focuses around what he's doing and you sort of through him find out that this game is set up by the terms i said before you know billions of dollars but the price is your life and so the one of the things that they have to do at the beginning is try to convince you that there are people who are willing to go through with this and so they show him in you know millions of dollars of debt and so many other people who are the other contestants who they're so desperate they're willing to you know risk their lives just to be able to live comfortably or get rich that sort of thing and, and they have a great recruitment incentive is to convince the people themselves that they're desperate enough to do something like this. I mean, yes, they have to convince the audience so the audience will buy into the situation, but they also had to convince the people. And they do that 
by getting them to bet on a game that's kind of like pogs where you throw something down this piece of paper with something inside it and i'm not sure what's inside it i'm guessing this is an actual korean thing you throw it down against the other players playing piece and try to get it flip over and if you get it to flip over the player pays you a hundred thousand won and the one is the korean unit of money but if you don't then you have to pay the player a hundred thousand won now the trick is all these people are poor they are all broke and not just normally broke like in massive debt broke massive debt that's about to come true some that's you know gambling debt that's owed to loan sharks some that's uh investment debt where they wiped out all of their savings and lost their mom's house and store and plus did some illegal things so the police are going to come and so they're playing this game and the representative of you know the squid game who is secretly the other guy with the hundred thousand won says that if they don't make it flip over he he'll take instead of a hundred thousand won which these poor people don't have he'll take a slap and he just smacks him right across the face and does so it, it you know, thereby conditioning them to accept physical punishment in a, in lieu of their debt. Yeah, and convincing them that they are that desperate, that they will stand there and let someone slap them 20 or 30 times just on the off chance that eventually they'll get the 100,000 won. Because you really do have to be, I mean, you have to be super desperate to just let a complete stranger smack you in the face. And finally, at the end of this game, this is not, by the way, the squid games. This is the recruitment phase when they're convincing people you are precisely this desperate. You are this pathetic. You are sunken this low in life that you will let this complete stranger slap you in the face hard. Not a light tap, a ringing swing your head around slap. Again and again and again and again and again, just to get 100,000 won once. So yeah, there's some psychological manipulation there going into the games to convince people and, and the audience it does both at the same time which is you know they did a great job on this getting the audience to buy in uh, I'll, yeah, but, I'll, I'll, I'll have to say it didn't work on me uh, 
early on there's a there's an opportunity to quit the game you know just to jump ahead after the first game everybody realizes what's going on you know as you know a hundred something people are killed and they're given an opportunity to leave and they take it and most of them come back Uh, you know what no (laughs) i didn't buy it at all nobody's that desperate they tried dw i you think they did a good job i didn't buy it but it was enough for me to sort of strap in and enjoy the rest of the ride which was fun did i did i steal your whole thing there no i'm i'm trying to think of how to phrase this they did a good job a, a great job of the moment to moment drama mm. uh, and i know that because a lot of times during the series i felt myself feeling genuine tension and worry for the people who uh uh, you know, we're competing in the games and we're maybe about to get killed and stuff. And I'm not a person who gets pushed into feeling tense easily. I don't know if I'm just, you know, jaded or whatever, but to wring that many moments of genuine tension out of me, where I'm genuinely worried whether or not people are going to get killed, they had to have been doing a lot right. I agree. I agree. So while I think the whole setup is absurd, I mean, if you want to watch, if you want to watch this sort of death show sort of thing, I guess my one-line review would be The Running Man Did It Better. But what they did really well, which is sort of the whole point of it, if you're going to drag the running man out into nine hour long episodes, you've got to make people care about the people who are playing the game because they're playing for keeps. And I agree. That's what made it interesting and fascinating to watch because they take the time to get you to know a certain number of characters there's maybe 10 besides the main character there's 10 characters that they sort of follow around through the competition and they all spend enough time with them and they spend enough time with each other to build up that kind of tension and one of the ways they do that is and i think this is the real draw of this kind of show are the games themselves I which I couldn't spoil because that's the whole fun. If you want to watch them, watch it, just watch it because half the fun is the surprise of, oh shoot, what are they going to play next? So here's where my theory comes in. Okay. I think Alice in Borderland actually had better games. Um, but it didn't have as colorful a game at games 
That is to say, all of the games that were involved in the Squid Game were themed around a central theme, right? Um, and I'm guessing, based on what we learn later about the setup of this, is that they have a different theme every year because they have to keep it fresh, right? Mm -hmm. So they aren't playing these same games every year. So this is the year. The theme of the theme of this season is uh, childhood playground games. Right. The I first game. Was the first game is the title of the first episode: Red Light, Green Light. Yes. Um, and that was already given away by a news article I reposted on Twitter, anyway. So if you see my Twitter feed, you probably got that one. So poor bastard reporters i felt so sorry for them they're like oh no kids in malaysia started playing red light green light just in like in the squid game and i'm sitting there i'm really i'm not lying i'm feeling kind of sorry for these poor people i'm like did you not have a childhood did you not play red light green light when you were a kid or tag or red rover you poor pathetic people were you raised by parents who helicoptered so much they didn't let you outside oh it's terrible but anyways okay so that was already given away we can give away that one and the rest of them are all different childhood games so that was the theme but the theme was carried out not just in the games that they played but the color palette of uh, all of the stairs and doors and corridors that led to the various game arenas, uh, the scenery that was on the walls in the game arenas. Uh, if you remember uh, the Truman Show, at the very end, he crashes into the wall, and it turns out that it's painted uh, like a horizon, like clouds on a blue background. They have scenery like that painted on the walls of a lot of the arenas. Uh, and it all harkens back to the same theme of children's games. So these pastel colors, and they even, and these are just the hallways to walk around to get to the uh to get to the uh arenas the uniforms that the people who work at the place wear um the colors of the uniforms are you know kind of pastel all of these things work together to give a distinct color or feel to the show and it's it's one sharply at odds with how ghastly what's going on really is 
They start with 456 players. And, you know, by the end, it's implied right at the beginning, you're only going to be down with one, and not one person walks away with all the prize money, and everybody else ends up dead. So the truly ghastly things going on um, are completely belied by these bright, cheerful colors in the staircases and walls and doors and the bright, cheerful colors these uh, guards wear. And they're carrying uh, uh, submachine guns and wearing these bright pastels. And then um, with the, uh, so I think that where Alice in Borderlands didn't grab an audience as well is because their games were all, They were too congruous. They made too much sense. It was too, um, too dark, too grim to suit the dark and grim things that were going on. I think the colorfulness and then the like PlayStation, uh, triangle circle and square symbols on the uh faces of the guards as well as those symbols that keep on showing up in different games um as well as those symbols being part of the squid game itself and then being rearranged into the logo of the show I think they just did a better job of making it visually and aesthetically interesting. And that's what grabbed people more than, um, than uh, Alice in Borderlands. I think they made it visually and aesthetically interesting enough to grab people's attention, whether people were consciously thinking about that or not. Interesting. Oh, that may explain its appeal. It definitely has that weird, uh, I shouldn't use the word weird, the colors that you mentioned, as well as the symbols on the masks of the guards and everything, it gave it a surreal quality. It, yeah. It, it didn't seem like it was actually happening. And of course, to the rest of the world who just went on living, not knowing that these games were going on, that uh, it, it effectively didn't happen. Just a bunch of people went missing and died. That was it. But it is very surreal, the setting. As as far as the games go, without spoiling the games, and I haven't seen any of these other Battle Royale-style shows, so I can only talk about this one. I think the reason why it works as a show, despite the fact that it is completely ridiculous... Like, I, I saw one commenter just come out and say, it's retarded. I get it. I get why you'd say that. But it works. It was entertaining for the just about the full season because the nature of the games and the competition were such that the P 
people in the game, they are prisoners, so they have a natural antagonism towards the guards and the people who set this up. On the other hand, as you pointed out, it's voluntary. They're desperate enough to do it. And then you bring in the games, and during the games, the games all require a certain amount of cooperation. The more people are going to live if they work together. And so the natural thing happens. People start working together, you know, forming little groups and cliques of, you know, people who trust each other. And that's when the games become most cruel because even though everybody's working together, everybody also knows that there's only going to be one at the end. Everybody else is probably going to die. But they have to work together anyway. And so that, I think, is what generates the interesting drama that keeps the whole thing going. It, it Maybe it's a house of cards, or maybe it's just a phony facade, but you mentioned the drama earlier. I think that's what creates that kind of drama. They've got a bunch of characters, and you watch them struggle with this, this idea and the games that they're probably going to die, but they have to work together. And you have to work with a guy that's probably going to try to kill you in tomorrow's game. Yeah. Because otherwise, neither of you are going to get through today's. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think the games, uh, the games work in that respect, both for the characters and the audience. And as far as, yes, you're right. That is where the source of the drama is, and that's where, or that is at least one part of where the drama is, comes from. And it is also something that is the primary source of drama for shows like this. That kind of dynamic plays out in Battle Royale, the first movie. It plays out in um, The Hunger Games, the first movie. Because there were four movies in the Hunger Games series. But that definitely plays out in the first movie um, and sets up the events in the second movie. Because, um, and then it also plays out in Alice versus Borderland, or Alice in the Borderland. Um, so yeah, it, in this kind of genre, it's definitely, that's defi definitely one of the strong sources of drama and why people keep watching is because you do have to work together and sometimes you can but sometimes you can't uh, find a way around that so yeah i think you're right on that score absolutely and and another source of the drama there is for several of the characters, they give you strong reasons to they build up the reasons why you might want them to win. Um, you know, one person uh, is a North Korean 
defector. They got smuggled from North Korea into South Korea, and their brother got smuggled with them. And the brother is living in an orphanage, and they're trying to get enough money together to get their mother smuggled out of North Korea. Um, you know, another character, their their mother is has diabetes, and her feet are starting to get uh, gangrenous. And so they absolutely need the money to pay for their mother's medical bills so she can get treatment. Um, uh, the businessman, um, you know, who's lost all this money um, because he thought he had a sure thing but didn't. He wants to get the money to pay back his business, but also to save his mother from being kicked out of her house and kicked out of her shop. It just, they give you reasons why, and they develop these characters to the point where you have the opportunity to root for them, whether or not you actually do root for them. You know, and there's someone who, um, stole money from his bosses and who is literally going to get killed if he doesn't go back uh, in the game and and uh, make enough money to cover that debt. So, yeah, they it isn't just a bunch of throwaway, throwaway characters you don't that you're supposed to feel empathy for just because they're in this situation. Yeah, and ironically, a lot of that stuff comes out in episode two, which Emmett's, Emmett Fitzhumi says it's craptastic. Yeah, it was, it was not a good episode, but a lot of that stuff is laid out in it. It also sets up a ridiculous subplot that eats up way too much screen time. Uh, having to do with the the front man, the guy in the black mask, who's sort of the MC of the whole See, of the games. And the real tragedy with that is, at least I did. As soon as I figured out the twist, as soon as you, yeah, as soon as you see the notebooks, you know exactly what's going on. It mm -hmm. was not a mystery anymore. And yet they still string that along for like three more episodes. Yeah, um, I, I, I will say this. I, that is my other criticism besides uh, the criticism that the setup is completely absurd. Like it, it, the, my two criticisms are the premise is completely absurd. It, it really stretches your suspension of disbelief. Um, the other one is there's no way this needed to be nine hours long. <laughs> no way this could have been done in a four hour miniseries with just as much tension and drama I will say this what I was expecting to happen and what I was hoping to happen was that the X Factor guy the guy who was sneaking around doing all those things I was hoping he would get captured and that the VIPs would demand he get put in the game. That's where I thought they were going with it. 
and I thought that would have been awesome to have, you know, all of a sudden instead of just the people we were expecting for the last game to all of a sudden have one more. Or instead of, you know, either way, with or without, I just, I thought that would have been awesome. I thought that would have been great to see that dynamic suddenly play out. Yeah, they really dropped the ball with that character. Um, but yeah, I really was most disappointed by the fact that as soon as you see the notebook, you know exactly who that character is and you don't need it anymore. You don't need the mystery anymore. And so, you know, oh, yeah, we, it out. We, were, we were watching the show. We called it well before that scene. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it was pointless. Um, but, and I see we're running out of time here. I thoroughly enjoyed the show. Uh, and the people who made it did a good job at making it tense. Um, that all the things that drama is supposed to be, and I will say this, contrary to a lot of modern Hollywood stuff, they bothered to put real human emotions into it, even if they weren't subtle at times. <laughs> and, and people said that online, they're like, yes, Koreans are doing some excellent work and drama, which, you know, given Train to Busan, yeah, and uh, also The Kingdom, which is another Netflix series uh, set in, like, their mythical golden middle age, kind of like their King Arthur period, only it was more historical, uh, about zombies, yeah. Have you seen Parasite yet? No. Yeah, check that out. I started to watch it, but I had to stop. Uh, It's it's good. It's uh, I don't think it's as great as everybody said, but there's a couple of really nice shots and moments in it. So they're doing great stuff over in Korea, but also there's a lot of times where they will hit you over the head with things. Um, which is fine. That's not a problem at all because Shakespeare hit you over the head with things. And that didn't stop him from being one of the greatest authors in the English language ever. Quite possibly the greatest author in the English language ever. I don't know that I would nominate anyone on top of or in front of Shakespeare. Um, so, yeah, it was it was worth it. They could have done it in a shorter time, maybe. But it was worth the nine hours for me. I, I enjoyed the nine hours, so... Yeah, so let's wrap up. Final verdict? I would recommend it. Absolutely. There's a reason why everybody's talking about it, and it's because it's good. Yeah, despite my objections, uh, it really, uh, the two main objections being that the premise is absurd, and you may have trouble getting into it. And if you're halfway through episode one and you leave, don't go back. Uh, The other one is the running time. It is too long. It's padded with a bunch of garbage here and there, but I enjoyed watching it. I'd give it a B minus and say, don't sub to Netflix for it, but check it out.
if you like the first episode, you'll enjoy the the show. See, I'd definitely give it a B plus. A B plus for me. You're B plus. I'm B minus. I'll give it a C plus then. Got to even it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, uh, it was super fun to talk about that today. Anything else you want to add before we wrap up? Yeah, uh, I'd also recommend if uh, if you like battle royale shows, um, Alice in Borderlands is actually a good show. Um, it's not as surreal and as, uh, I don't know, iconic or uh, idiosyncratic as Squid Game, but it is a really good show. Uh, and both of these shows, I should point out, uh, are set up for second seasons, so they will be coming back. Although I, I think the guy doing what he did to come back for the second season was stupid and I wanted to smack him. Uh, yeah. Single worst scene of the show, actually. Worse than yeah. all of episode two. They should have um, they should have cut they should have cut that whole episode. Actually they should have cut the second half of that episode. So yeah I would definitely recommend Alice uh, in Borderland and also uh, Squid Game. That's it for me. That's my verdict. Sounds good. Hey, thanks for hanging out with us. It was awesome to chat with everybody uh, in the live chat today. Appreciate you guys hanging out. And I hope everybody listening later uh, enjoyed the chat. If you haven't seen Squid Game yet, we've got a recommendation from both of us. Uh, appreciate you guys hanging around. And uh, thank you so much, Daddy Warpig, for being amazing. I'm done for this week. And I'm signing off. So have a good one, everyone. Thanks, folks, for turning in. Wow, that was almost English. Let's see if I can do that again with actual pronunciation this time. We'll, Thanks, uh, folks. For... We'll fix it in post-production. <laughs> fix it in post, yeah. Because that's what we have on a live show. Plenty of time to fix it in post. Thanks, folks, for tuning in. Uh, thanks to my inimitable co-host. Uh, thanks, everyone, who's going to be listening later. Um, this is Geek Gab. We're here just about every week, just about the same time. We are leaving you today. Oh, but I should also mention we're on the SoundCloud.com. We're on uh, Google Play Store, and we're on iTunes.com. Do a search for Geek Gab, and you can find us any of those three places we uh can be downloaded on the device of your choice and listened to at your leisure or you can come and listen live and uh, join in the awesome chat participate with our unusually intelligent and attractive fans we are signing out for today folks but don't you worry don't you fret we will be back